0: Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out Um, Let's pray. You may grab a hand. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now. And, and we just thank you for all that you've accomplished already with these leaders. And we, we pray, God, for you to move powerfully and um, we know that we just share words. We pray, God, that You would just release impartation as we, as we, uh, as we, as we teach tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. I, how many of you got to hear the afternoon two sessions? thought oh, they were amazing! Did you guys think they were amazing? I thought that um, that uh, our team did so good. Um, Leslie and uh, Chris. I thought they were just amazing. I, I want to talk about becoming an apostolic people and I've shared uh, pieces of this um, uh, Quite uh, a while ago um, But I, I have a dream you know if you go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Cambridge or Stanford and just name your favorite university and you graduate from that university there's a, there is an anticipation that you're supposed to do something amazing. <laughs> like, there's just like, like, they only take a certain, a very low percentage of the students who apply. And then there's, and, this, and we all know the schools are very, you know, very tough school to graduate from and so on and so forth. So if you have a, a degree from Princeton or Harvard or Yale or any of those Ivy League universities, there's an anticipation that you're going to be a better employee or you're going to be a judge or a, a mayor, or a governor, or a president—I mean, you're going to do something amazing. And and I I just I had this passion for a long time that what would happen if the church had a reputation not that just pe- you know that great people come to church, but that great people come from the church. Like, what would happen if the church became the most empowering, training, equipping institution? Family in the world, and people came in broken. Isaiah 61. They came in depressed, broken. They came in captive. They came in with fatigue and exhaustion, demonized, and all of the things that Isaiah 61 says. You know, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news of the afflicted, bind up the brokenhearted. You know, the whole, the, and one, verses one through three. And then, verse four. And then they shall return who the broken the sick the lame the demonized the captives the, the, all of those folks who were in trouble that they shall return and they shall rebuild the ancient ruins. they shall raise up the former de- devastations and rebuild ruined cities what if we were actually the kind of family slash organization that people came in broken and they literally left city-changing world-changing, ready to change the world. Like what if Isaiah 1 through three was the nature of the way we trained and Isaiah, Isaiah 61, four was the outcome of the people we trained. That literally the broken people, the drug addict, the heroin addict, the drug pusher, actually became the restorer of great cities. You know, if your last name is Bush or Clinton or or Gates, or Kennedy. You get the idea. Just name some in your country. If you have a last name like that, there's an anticipation that something's supposed to happen through your lineage. You know, um, President John F. Kennedy died many, many years ago. And his great grandkids are still, like, the the media is still after them. Like, they, they can't go anywhere. Like, there's an anticipation. Because your dad and your grandfather and your uncle and your other uncle were all amazing, there's something that's supposed to happen through you. And there's an anticipation that you're supposed to do something great because you're a Kennedy. And I wonder what happens, what kind of anticipation happens when you're a Christian? Like, I'm just trying to say, like, Something needs to shift in my mind that instead of them going, "Oh, you go to that church down there." oh those guys, they reduce people. Like, what kind of box did they put you in?" What if, what if the most prominent, powerful, wise, innovative and inventive people on the entire planet planet were flowing out of your church? And they weren't just preaching Jesus on the streets. But they were turning institutions upside down for the betterment of the king and his kingdom. One of my very favorite stories, I, I, I love Joseph in the Bible. I, I hope you do too. I mean, I mean he had his issues, and, and he wasn't perfect. And maybe that's part of the reason I like the guy. I mean, you know, he, he, God gives him a dream that his brothers are going to serve him. He knows his brothers are jealous, and he's not very wise in his early days. <laughs> Comes out and tells his brothers, ha. Huh, had another dream, <laughs> you guys like to hear it. Oh, you wouldn't. Let me tell you anyway. You know, really, not the wisest man on the planet in the beginning, but gained some wisdom through the pit and the prison. Would you agree? Now, so I, I like Joseph because I, I can relate to Joseph. You know, we 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 have our early days, we have our flaws, and we still we still have our our challenges. Hopefully, we're getting a little wiser. But one of the most powerful and profound. Relationships in my mind in the entire Bible. You know, sometimes you read the Bible so many times, it loses the impact. You know what I'm saying? Like you heard the story sometimes, they're like, yeah, Joseph. And I'm like, Joseph's in prison. The king has a dream. Joseph is has a gets gets a reputation for an, interpreting dreams in prison. I mean, this is all predicated on God gave him a, v- a dream many years earlier that he was going to be a ruler in the world. He's in prison, it looks like, you know, Bill shares this whole thing about how many times, how many of you have received the prophetic word and, the, and then your circumstances immediately are opposite. I mean, that's Joseph. <laughs> he gets a prophetic word, word, word you're gonna be a ruler in the world. And the next thing he knows, he's in prison. First he's a slave, then he's in prison. And it looks like this does not feel like, you know, Cambridge. (laughs) This doesn't feel like, this doesn't feel like an Ivy League college. This feels like I'm heading the wrong direction. God, you told me this is going to happen to me, and everything that you said is the. My circumstances are polar opposite of every. In fact, the word actually caused them to be worse. (laughs) It says the word of the Lord tested Joseph until his word came to pass. And the point Bill was making is oftentimes the word of the Lord often attracts, like it actually attracts the enemy. There's a thought there around prophesying over children and making sure that we use wisdom there. Just a side note. But, but my point is Joseph's in prison and he interprets dreams for the king and he ends up at the right hand of the king. And this is a great story. It also personifies something. Joseph... Uh, you know, one of the sons of Israel, he's an Israelite. Egypt represents, oftentimes we think of Egypt as the, the enemy. Like we say, well, you came, you know, the children of Israel came out of Egypt representing their old life or the bondage of the devil or, you know, we always use Egypt as something bad, something evil. And they went through the wilderness and then they finally came into the promised land. And here's Joseph and he's making friends with the Egyptian Pharaoh. And he's serving the Egyptian Pharaoh. And he teaches, the, you know, gives the Pharaoh a, a, the interpretation of a dream, then he gives him a word of wisdom. And the short story is he saved, saves Egypt and his own 72 family, 72 members of his family. He saves them from a famine, they don't die in the famine. It's, it's all a great story. I know you know the story. The part of the story I love, I, lo- I actually love the whole, part, the whole story. But the part of the story that impacts me the most is chapter 49 and 50. Chapter 49 is where Jacob tells Joseph, don't bury me in Egypt. Please don't bury me in Egypt. Now, this is a pretty huge request. You know, bury me in Canaan, please. I have one request. I want to be buried in Canaan. So Joseph got a dilemma. And he the first thing it says in chapter 50 is that when Joseph died, it says that the Israelites mourn for 40 days. But the Egyptians mourn for 70. I don't know why. It's just something just, I can't hardly read that chapter without weeping. I love this part too. When Joseph reveals, you know, you remember Joseph's in Egypt, his brothers finally come in to get food because the famine's all over the land, and his father comes in last, Jacob, his old, he comes in last. And when, um, when Jacob meets Pharaoh, it says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, you can have... Any of the land. In fact, you should take the land of Goshen. This is the best land. Joseph, tell all the people in that city to move out, and your family to move in. And the Bible says, and J- I'm sorry, and Pharaoh gave Jacob the best land in Egypt. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I feel like this is such a prophetic declaration that Egypt, the world, God so loved the world. How many know, God doesn't love worldliness, but he didn't die for the church. He died for the world. He died for the world. And I've shared this so many times, but how many know that Joseph had a dream? And Pharaoh had a dream. If Joseph didn't dream, how many know Pharaoh would have died in a famine? But if Pharaoh didn't dream, Joseph would have died in prison. I'm saying they didn't realize it. But Joseph and Pharaoh were partners in destiny, and they didn't even know it. Do you know that we're the light of the world? We are not the light of the church. I heard people teach that in the last days, the darkness is going to get darker and the light's going to get lighter. OK, well, all sounds really good. It's not a problem. Except for the light is supposed to be positioned in the world. And Jesus said, no one takes a light and puts it in her basket, a lamp and puts it in her basket, but sets it on a lampstand. Next verse. You're the light of the world. Listen to this. A city set on a hill. In other words, Jesus saying, listen, the only way it can get brighter In the church and darker in the world is if the church becomes a basket then we're like the the church is gonna get brighter and brighter and the world is gonna get darker and darker well that's what's happening that's because we misposition the light and then we create eschatologies to make it okay Well, brother you know in the last days it's going to get darker and darker the church is going to get brighter and brighter let me propose to you that darkness is the condition the church rises in not the condition the world stays in when the church rises and uh, uh again i've shared all of this so many times but we wrote when we wrote the book heavy rain I had my PA do a statistical study on America. This is just on American cities, and here's what we learned: the cities in America that had the greatest Christian church-going population had the worst social statistics in our in our nation. Let me just tell you what I just said: the more Christians that go to a, more people that go to a Christian church in America, the worse off the social statistics are in that city. I call it the huddle effect. I think I think light gets together so much. We have so many meetings. We don't have the time to be light anywhere. And we're like, isn't our church awesome? And then we're like, this little light of mine. How I many you know you don't have a little light? Such a ridiculous song. I mean, I sang that song as a kid. I taught it to my youth group. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Where did you get that? You don't have a little light. You're insulting Jesus. The light of the world is not you. It's Jesus in you. He's not a little torch. He's the sun. Of righteousness. I'm just saying we make powerless statements and then wondering why we feel little. And, and I'm simply saying like what if Joseph is dreaming again? What if Pharaoh is dreaming again? You know uh, another amazing thing is uh, well okay so Pharaoh has a dream you know about that we'll come back to it. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream when he's totally and completely narcissistic, demonized freak, building statues to himself and killing people who won't bow down. This is when he has a dream. And listen to this, the dream is initiated when, and this is what Daniel says to, to him, to Nebuchadnezzar, when he's interpreting the dream, he goes, you were laying on your bed and you asked yourself about the future. And when you asked yourself about the future, you had a dream. Isn't it crazy? I propose, I know this is, this is, this is my opinion, this may not be true, but it's very probable. I'd, I'd guess that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt a lot of dreams. Probably in that most of us dream a lot of dreams and dreamers tend to dream. I'd propose that Nebuchadnezzar Dreamt a lot of dreams. He's probably not the first dream he's ever dreamt. But this is strange to me. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream he completely doesn't understand. But he has the deepest conviction in his heart that his head doesn't understand. But he knows that whatever the dream's interpretation is, it has something to do with the way, the the end of the world and or the, the way of the world, and it has something to do with him and his kingdom. And he is so convinced that the dream is profoundly prophetic, even though he doesn't know the God of heaven, that he's willing to kill all the wise men. We're not talking about killing Christians here. We're talking about killing your staff. (laughs) This isn't a persecution of Christians. Daniel and 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 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the only Christians in there. And Nebs doesn't even know they're Christians at this point. So he's like, I'm gonna kill all my counselors if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation. Now, how many know you have to be pretty convinced that this dream is important enough to kill your entire staff? And what I'm getting at is the man doesn't just have a dream, he has a conviction from the God he doesn't yet know that what he's dreamt is profoundly important for his kingdom. But God intentionally will not tell him what it is without Daniel. And that dream creates a relationship with him and Daniel. Are you with me? It's not just a dream. It's a profound strategy from heaven. I'm going to give you a dream, and I'm going to make you so convinced that this dream will change your life, and then I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I'm going to put it in another guy who you need a relationship with. And the only way you're going to figure out what that profound conviction is in your heart is to make build a relationship with a guy you don't even know. And Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar build a relationship. And you know, I love the story because Daniel is working now for a king that is, is still insane. He's totally insane. He's totally a narcissist. He totally believes he's God. And Daniel, when he, when, when he has the second dream, which is against him, when the Nebuchadnezzar has a dream against himself, Daniel says, I wish this was about your enemies and not about you. Yeah. And Daniel has fallen in love with the crazy king. And it's more than just the power of God moving through Daniel. It's the profound love of God for an enemy king who hates Daniel's people, who destroyed all of his people. And now the people he destroyed are loving him in exchange. It's Chris Cruz's message. You can't can't offend me. My, My response to your offense is not offense. It's forgiveness. And my forgiveness is a weapon against your offense. And Daniel, as you know, Jeremiah prophesied before Nebuchadnezzar. That, there, that, that Cyrus would release no, that Israel would be in bondage for 70 years. And on the 70th year, a man named Cyrus would release them and let them rebuild the temple. This is before Cyrus was born. I think it was after Nebuchadnezzar was born, though. Daniel comes into into uh, into Babylon in year one of 70. He lives all the way till the 70th year praying three times a day towards Jerusalem, right? He serves Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar finds God during Daniel's reign. Nebuchadnezzar's son, Darius, who throws him in the lion's den. Are you with me? When Daniel's 92, probably why the lions didn't eat him. lion's probably like, go ahead. No, man, I don't do beef jerky. I love the story. You too? And Darius, you know, gets tricked into throwing him into the lion's den, and it says this to Darius, King Darius, fasts all night. That's what I do. It's a kingly fast. Hey, if Darius gets credit for fasting all night, why shouldn't you? I'm like, Lord, I've been fasting and praying. Fasting at night and praying in the morning. (laughs) And Darius, it says that Darius comes to the tomb and while he's still uh, to the lion's den, and while he's still a long ways away, he yells out, Daniel was your God whom you serve day and night able to save you. And out of the lion's den, he hears this. Oh, king, may you live forever. Dude, could we change the nations if we could learn to love like that? Oh, king, would you live forever? He's working for Cyrus, as you know, in the seventh year. In fact, Darius and Cyrus were from the Persian kingdom and not from the Babylonian kingdom. And and that all had to happen because of the prophecy of Jeremiah. It's just so amazing to me because Jeremiah prophesied that Cyrus would let him go. So the Babylonians couldn't let him go because Cyrus was the king of Persia. So the Persians come, overcome the, you know, take over the Babylonians, and they leave Daniel in power. And Daniel serves Cyrus. And in the 70th year, Daniel has opened up the doors. He's praying over the prophecy of Jeremiah, reminding the Lord that it's the 70th year. And he's remembering that Jeremiah prophesied that a man named Cyrus would let them go. And Daniel's working for a king named Cyrus in the 70th year. What are the chances? And Daniel says to Cyrus, you're supposed to let us go. Dude, your name's in the book. You're supposed to let us go. Cyrus doesn't just let him go. The word was... and. And a king named Cyrus will release you and let you go back and rebuild the temple. Cyrus gets so overcome with his relationship with Daniel and with the prophetic word from Jeremiah that he funds the entire rebuilding of the temple, which was not prophesied, from his own treasury. In essence of $40 billion, the most expensive building in the history of the world. And Cyrus funds the whole thing himself, through the Persian treasury. (laughs) Here's probably the most important thing Daniel did. Do you know that the Bill of Rights that is used in the United Nations was written by Cyrus, who was mentored by Daniel? You didn't get that. The Bill of Rights that is currently used in the UN the Bill of Rights, giving everybody rights, was written by King Cyrus, who was mentored by Daniel. Daniel is still speaking through Cyrus, who wrote the Bill of Rights that we currently, 21st century, use to tell nations how to treat their people. It was written by a king who was mentored by a prophet, who was a believer. back to the story of Joseph in the 50th chapter. The Egyptians mourn for 70 days. Joseph goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, I got this problem. I love Egypt. Thank you for everything. You gave us the best land. My dad made me promise that I'd bury him in the land that was promised to our family. Please let me go and bury my dad. And Pharaoh says, Not only can you go, but we're all going with you. And all of Pharaoh's officials and all of his commanders in chief all go with Joseph all the way to Canaan. Get this, weeping all the way to Canaan, so that when they pass through the enemy territory, the enemy of the Egyptians, The Egyptian enemies called them the name, the place where they passed, the city they passed through, the place where the Egyptians wept. Not the Israelites, the place where the Egyptians wept. For Jacob, the world wept for the church because of the benefit that Joseph brought to the world if you will uh, uh, please uh, uh, let me finish this thought for you make opinion about what I'm saying and if you will Joseph was Christ to Pharaoh he was the Savior he was of the world in the day of Egypt and Pharaoh blessed Joseph but Joseph also blessed Pharaoh. I just have this passion like, what would happen if worldliness was our enemy, but the world was not? What would happen if we went into Apple and Microsoft and all these companies, but we didn't go like, let's go in there and take over. No, let's go and serve the kings. And let's serve in a way they've never seen before. Let's serve the way that Michelangelo chipped stone and freed angels. Let's serve in a way. Do your good works in such a way that they see your good works and they go, you must be Every year, we, we send uh, thousands, 2,000 students to work in our city. City we, Everybody does city projects. They all have to do city projects. And one of the things we do is clean streets. And we have a glass bridge. We're, we're responsible for it. We have a contract to clean the glass bridge. It's all free. We have a contract to clean the glass bridge, clean parks, build parks. We log the most volunteer labor hours Last year in the history of the United States. We logged so many hours that our city received a match grant, 1.3 million dollars, as a match grant because of the volunteer hours that we volunteered. And every year Keith Elvord, I don't know if he's in here, he is my hero. He used to work for me in Weaverville one of the most noble and integrous men i've ever met in my life i literally would give my life for him he leads our city teams and every year he says hey why don't you come out like in the first city team and and and, and inspire them so i do it every year i've probably done it seven or eight years so not from the beginning but every every year since then and it, we, i get on a flatbed truck I, it's kind of the stage i jump up on the flatbed truck and And there's, I don't know, there's maybe 200 of our students here. And I share with them a message to inspire them about what they're actually doing. Just to be a catalyst to, because I don't know if they think they're chipping rock, but I think they're freeing angels. So last year, I'm on the back of the truck. I'm doing what I do every time. It's about 15 minutes, 20 at the most. And, And I'm sharing with the students that. We do our good works in such a way that people see our good works and they glorify our Father in heaven. And I start talking to them about Solomon. And I say, Solomon, the queen of Sheba, comes six months journey with an entourage and millions of dollars to see a man. And when she gets there, to see a man that she's been taught has great wisdom. And she gets there and she sees the way the waiters waiters are dressed. The way the table is set. The way the stairway goes from his house to... And, and it's like these natural, like very like, how do you set a table where people go, there must be a God. <laughs> I mean, I've eaten food like that before, like taste and see that there is a God. How do you dress waiters? Like how do, would you dress, like I, I often imagine like, how would you dress a waiter that the Queen of Sheba, who's had a six-month journey, and she's brought millions of dollars in this big entourage. And she says, you are twice as wise as what I heard in my land. Because she saw the way your waiters were dressed. (laughs) And I said, I say to our students, what if you were sweeping streets the way the waiters were waiting on tables in the days of the Queen? What if you swept like Michelangelo chipped stone and you're not just sweeping streets, you're freeing angels. What if you're just not building parks? What if you're a part of the first 21st century city in which it is a city on a hill that people come from all over the world to see what it looks like when the kingdom actually infiltrates every realm of society. And I'm teaching, and I'm telling the students a story about chipping stone, and you can, you know, the difference between chipping rock and freeing angels is what you see in the rock. And I said, I don't know what you see in this city, but I see the city of God. And I was talking to him about the city of God, and I get off the stage after 15 minutes off the back of the truck, and of course they all clap, and it's it's all good. And I get down, and there's four city officials there, whom one has saved. We've been working in our city for 15 years. I, I, I didn't see them when I, was, when I was sharing. I probably would have been so nervous. I would have saw them, I would have been secularized to message a little bit more, you know. <laughs> I get down off the back of the truck, and, and they're, they're kind of over here, and they're like, hey, Chris. Wow, and three of them, the three that aren't believers, have tears running down their face. And the one city official, and they say, and one guy goes, "That was a, man. That was a powerful message." And the other guy says, "I, I have never heard anything like that." And the one main city official says to me with tears, "Now I know why. When I look out my window, your students are sweeping and raking and cutting lawns with passion, and I never understood it till this day." In tears, he said that. <laughs> till this day, I never understood it till this day. What he said to me, and he gave me a hug, which I always, they always extend their hand, I always hug him, and I guess he got tired of that, so he just hugged me. (laughs) He gave me a hug, and he said, thank you for what you guys are doing for this city. I'm like, oh, you're welcome. (laughs) And I got in my car, and I thought, Pharaoh and Joseph are partners in destiny. This is what I'm alive for. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. I'm not joking. My friends all know I'm a little crazy. I'm always like, hey, maybe we can do this. And they're like, oh, gosh, please don't bring Chris in here again. We haven't paid for the last thing he had an idea about. And now everyone's pregnant. Everyone's thinking like, hey, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. We're going to change the world. So the other night I was thinking, we should help the crime rate. I'm like, yeah, we got to get people saved, but but before they're saved, we got to get them in prison. <laughs> we can't let them loose on our streets. You know, we gotta we gotta have a plan. You know, and we have a real crime problem. And I was, I, I lay awake at night, like Jesus, we need help. You know, and and we have these people accosted on the, on our river trails now, and and women don't want to run in the morning, and I'm like, this this is our city. This is not supposed to happen in our city. I, I'm gonna pause for a minute and I'll tell you some more of that story. I, 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 read, I read, I read, I wrote this book, uh, Destined to Win. You have a copy of it. And, and part of the uh, Destined to Win, um, there's a chapter, there's three chapters actually, but there's one chapter on, you can't find your destiny till you find your people, because your destiny is in your people. And this whole thing about destiny and your people and And then there's like well how do i find my people and what do i do when i find them so there's three chapters about that i think it's pretty good i got the book all done sent it to the publisher it's all out it's already released and the lord said you missed one of the most important parts of destiny i said well it would have been nice if you would have told me while i was writing he said your destiny is not just in your people it's in your land isaiah 62 says and to your land, depending on which translation you have, and to your land will you be married. Yeah. How many of you know when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, what was the promise? The promise was that God would give them land. Not just land, their land. Second Chronicles 7.14, you know what? If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will forgive their sins. Hear from heaven and... Heal their, not the land, their land. I'm saying, your destiny isn't just in your people. It's in your land. Like you actually have a place that God calls yours. It's part of why you change the world, because you're like, this is my land. This isn't just a land. This isn't the place I'm visiting. This is my land. I'm not a renter. I mean, I may be renting, but I'm not a renter. I'm an owner. What happens in this land is my responsibility. Listen, guys, this is not a new thing. We send thousands of men and women out to war to give their life for not a land, for our land. Are you with me? And so, oh, I was telling you a story. Oh, so I was, I, was, I was thinking the other night, this is maybe three weeks, three weeks ago, and I was like, wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about the crime, crime rate. Oh, we've got to do something about crime. God, give us an idea. And, and so we've been talking and sharing ideas. And, and, um, and, I, and I, I read the newspaper on my phone, and the police chief is talking about um, putting civilians in the streets. Well, three months before, we had a men's meeting. There was three, 400 men in here, and I started sharing a vision. Like, what would happen if we took ownership of our land? And, we, and I said to the men, if we said, your crime doesn't happen on my watch, what would happen if we put 300 men in the streets with like safes ready, you know, safe city ready? And we, and we just walked the worst neighborhoods and not like, not to arrest people, but just to arrest the darkness. We prayed in the streets, we broke up fights. We, and what if we went on the river trails and it became the safest trails in the world? And the, and the men jumped up, they're like, I'm in. 300 out of the 400 men said, count me in, I'm in. So I see the sheriff is like, he's like, he wants civilians. So I meet with the sheriff and I say, hey, uh, I I give you 300 men. He's like, I was thinking 20. I go, yeah, and and how about if we bought you Segways and we put like six segways on trails and people were in twos and they went on segways and how about if we bought you drones that could fly over the bad areas of our city and what if we just like said don't do crime in our city he goes that would be amazing I said I bet my leadership team would buy you that stuff if I came shared the leadership team they go let's buy so we're buying sixty thousand dollars with the drones and and segways and putting them in the streets and Sheriff text me this morning, hey, Chris, let's meet. Come on. I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm like, what? This is our city. What if we started dreaming outside of our little church box? Like, you know, oh, how many people came to church today? I don't know. I don't know. But the crime rate's down. I'm saying, what if we just started thinking bigger? Do you ever get tired of being around Christians? I was like, oh, my goodness, like please have a thought besides your 12 people how do i get margaret to not sing i mean there's got to be a bigger world than that you know it's like she hasn't sang well for 25 years you know it's like how do we get her off the mic you know we turned her off and she still sings so loud can't even get her no you know what i'm saying how do we get How do we get Henry to actually scrub the toilet? I mean, you know, he's my brother-in-law, but he doesn't scrub the crap out of the toilet. You know, these big problems that come to us, you know, it's like we spend hours thinking about how we're going to tell, you know, Henry, can you please scrub the toilet? You know, don't just flush it, like scrub the toilet. You know, these deep problems that come to us. People ask me all the time, I've been asked, probably 200 times in the last two days. I bet you have too. How are you doing? <laughs> and I'm a like, super authentic person. Good, bad, and ugly <laughs> per hour. I mean, you could be doing great as long as you just, it's just you and your three. But if you're gonna take on ownership of a city or a nation, then you gotta mourn when they're mourning and you gotta rejoice when they're rejoicing, and that's like an hourly thing. I mean, like, God's gotta be like contri-polar. It's like people say, Well, God's unhappy. Well, was he unhappy? Because people got saved today, and then someone got murdered today. I mean, like, what's I always say to God, like, what mode are you in right now? Then I just like stick with Bill. Bill's like, God's in a good mood. I'm like, God's in a good mood. He just chooses a good mood, and just like, I'm in a good mood, you know? sorry I'm just being silly and funny but I'm simply saying like you can be doing perfect as long as you don't have anyone in your world but if you're gonna have a big world you're not gonna have perfect days that's the side effect of great leaders I mean is Donald Trump having a great day is is what you know? How, did George Bush have a, ever have a great day? I'm talking about as a president. President Obama ever have a great day? It's not a political statement. I'm saying if you're president of the United States, you probably never have a perfect day. Or if you do, it's a couple in you know, all the time you're in there, because you're responsible for so much. When we pray, our Father who's in heaven, how big are you thinking? No, I'm, I'm. It's not rhetorical. I'm like, how big are you thinking? Because you you don't really, I mean, the model prayer isn't permission granted to be selfish. The model prayer is be praying corporately. I actually think it helps to pray corporately even when you are in trouble. Because then you remind yourself that not everybody is and other people are too. And those are both good when you're in trouble, right? I need to know that not everybody's in trouble. You know, when I'm broke, I think everybody's broke. But it's not true. Some people, anyway. (laughs) Never mind, we're not going to do that. But anyway, the point is, is that if my world's big enough, I can always find people that can pull me up, and it can always help people that need to be pulled up. Because my world's big enough, right? And I actually need these people who can pull me up. I need to stay connected to them, because I'm connected to a whole bunch of other people who need to be pulled up. I'm just trying to say, what would happen if we started to be like great leaders, and not just good leaders? What if we stop coming to a conference and say, see if I can build a bigger church? How about if we left the conference thinking, I was born to change the world? Well, I'm in a little church. You ever heard of Nazareth? I don't think it was like uh, New York. I was watching a a TED Talk. You guys like TED Talks? There's some really good TED Talks. I was watching TED talks and I was watching Elon Musk it's a 42 minute interview with Elon Musk and I I don't didn't know much about Elon I mean I know some he's a car guy so I'm a car guy so I I like that stuff Tesla he's the founder of Tesla and uh, and SpaceX and and SolarCity and and so they're interviewing him you know and and he's a little quirky (laughs) well he's a genius so you know I've known a few geniuses in the world in, in my life, so I'm like, I, know, I've, I I'd never saw an interview with him, but I, he's like exactly how I anticipated him, a little quirky. And so they say to Elon, you know, like, so, um, you know, um, tell, us about, uh, tell us about Hyperloop. And he's like, yeah, well, I was in traffic in LA a couple years ago, and I was sitting in traffic, and it was bumper, but you know, one of those LA traffic jams where it just wasn't moving? And the guy's like, uh huh. He's like, and I thought to myself, we should build a Hyperloop tunnel underneath the freeway and put cars on a skate going 120 miles an hour and suck them through a Hyperloop so they can go from one side of the city to the other side in seven minutes. Then I thought, well, why not build 17 different levels of it so you could have them going all over ways? (gasps) I'm thinking, you know, when I've been stuck in traffic before, (laughs) I've never thought. We should build a Hyperloop system. I mean, I think, Frick, what's on the radio? I don't like that song. You know, it doesn't even like occur to me like, and, you know, and, and the guy's like, so, you know, what do you do? I mean, he doesn't just dream. Like he's already engineered the Hyperloop system. He calls it his hobby. And he drilled underneath his own parking lot. <laughs> yeah, to, 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 to build the prototype. They go, you know, well, you know, when are you going to do? Oh, oh, I already drilled under my. I don't even know if he got a permit for it. He's drilled underneath this parking lot, and he put and he developed a skate and he had a whole, you know, a PowerPoint kind of like Danny's. You know, people have to prop up their message. <laughs> hey, if you're not anointed, you got to use props. Bill doesn't even use notes, so what does that mean? <laughs> so, and he's had this video of this of this car drops down on the skate and it goes 120 mile an hour through a, a Hyperloop system that's sucked through in a vacuum chamber and he's telling all this stuff. And, and, and I'm like, wow. And then he goes, and they go, well, why did you start Solar City? I actually bought Solar City and he's doing all this stuff. He goes, well, I wanted to solve the climate control problem. Climate change problem? Oh, tell us about SpaceX. Well, I have this vision that uh, that we would colonize Mars in the year 20 by the year 2040. Oh, well, tell us about that. Yeah, well, we built the rocket and it's the most powerful rocket in the world and it's reusable. So when it comes back down, we can like you know reuse it. Like you can tell when the government doesn't pay for something, right? Anyway, (laughs) poof! Oh, we need another one. the difference between a private company and a government company is poof, we need another one So I'm listening to this guy he's like he doesn't just, just just thinking about oh I'd like to go to Mars you know I've met people that are on Mars you know we had a home group when Charlie was saying yeah I Charlie was teaching the sermon on Mars Hill and we had two guys in the home group and one guy goes I've been to Mars God's my witness, right, Charles? And, uh, and the other guy across the home, there's like 40 people in our home group, and the other guy goes, oh, I've been to Jupiter. And they he started interacting. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> people were in my home group. That was years before Ethan got the idea. People I discipled had already been there. Because this guy, he's not just dreaming about going to Mars. He builds a rocket to go to Mars. The most powerful reusable rocket in the world. He's already built it. And the guy goes, Elon, you know, what, what uh, inspires you? Like, like why do you do all this stuff? Like, why do you, like why'd you build a rocket? Why do you want to go to Mars? He goes, well, I just want to wake up every day and have hope. And, you know, the Earth is just going through so much. And I just think... You know, humans should be interplanetarial. He thinks, oh, the planet's having a hard time, so like we ought to colonize other planets. I mean, I've had hard days, I never thought like, probably just go to Mars and just forget these people. I mean, how many of you are pastors in here? How many of you wish you could go to Mars? more importantly how many of you would volunteer a few of your how many of you would recommend a few of your congregation to take the first ride providing they didn't come back totally i mean I, listen i never think about sending people to mars i think like I, I write people's name on a board and i send it through the planer in my wood shop. Or I put it on, I write it on a board and I cut it in little pieces. <laughs> so therapeutical. <laughs> I'm in a bad mood, cat's like, you need to go to your shop and write some stuff on a board. Put it through the planer. And I'm listening to this guy and I'm like, he want, this is what he said, I want to live with hope. I want to live with hope, and I see all the problems in the world, and I think, you know, we probably should be an interplanetary human being. We should, like, colonize the other planets so we have a future. Guy's an atheist. The guy asked him, like, does God have anything to do with this? He said, no, no, I don't believe in God. He has more faith than most of the believers I hang out with. And I started thinking, like, is it an indictment against the church that the atheist is dreaming about colonizing Mars, fixing the ecosystem of the planet, solving, you you know what, what I'm trying to say? Solving L.A. traffic solutions. And the Christians are like, how do we get Martha to not sing on the mic? Let's go to a conference and ask the question to Chris and Bill. What do you do when you got someone who can't sing and she's your grandmother? I'm like, is this really? Like, this is the kind of problems we have? Seriously? A great general was talking to his private, and he said to him, Little people have little problems, and big people have big problems. And I fear that we have little problems. Part of the reason we have little problems is because we're so distracted by stuff. Instead of like, why don't we go to Mars? I don't know what's there. Maybe we should be the first Christians there, get there before the Russians. the Chinese <laughs> definitely before the North Koreans <laughs> only God knows what they'll build if they get there <laughs> make a note of things not to say next time <laughs> You know, part of the challenges is that we hang around with little people. And oh, we think it's our destiny. Like, we should let, you know, how many know we should help everybody? So please, most of you know me. I, I, help the poor, we, we, we do that all the time. Help the poor, we give thousands and thousands, probably more than a million dollars a year to poor. I, I'm, I'm all in. But like, who are you letting influence you? <laughs> Sometimes you hang out with the poor and you end up with the same mindset they have. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm just saying, like, part of the challenge is that we're not hanging around with people who are thinking, oh, maybe we should go to Mars. We're hanging around with people who are trying to figure out how to get Martha off the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Paul said to Timothy in chapter 4, 1 Timothy, he said, you receive gifts. When the press breed laid hands on you. What are you doing with them? I want you to give yourself totally to your gift. I want you to take pains. I want you to labor until it's painful. And I want you to labor until everyone can see you're progressing. You know, we're always like building a plan for everyone else. (laughs) We kind of need a plan for ourselves. Like, how do I grow my congregation? Well, the best way is for you to get bigger. I mean, the best way to grow your congregation is for you, the leader, to get bigger. And I, I, I um, started thinking, you know, the challenge when you're in leadership is sometimes you are the biggest fish in the, in a, in the small pond you're in. And you're like, you know, you look around and like, I don't mean this arrogantly for any of us, but it's like you look around. And it's like, I don't know how I got to be the biggest fish in a pond, but if like if I'm the hope of the world, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and about two years ago, uh, proactively, I started saying, God, I need other leaders in my life who think bigger, <laughs> like much bigger. And I, I made some friends. Actually, I didn't actually seek them out. The truth is, I actually prayed, and I, I ended up with this friend, who's been a, a billionaire two times and lost it both times. But now he's on his track to be a billionaire again. And he he read my book, Spirit Wars, and he loved he loved the book. And four years ago, he befriended me. And I, I didn't. We didn't really make. I mean, he came to see me, and just some good stuff happened. He was a really nice guy, and and um and on and on and on. It, nothing really happened for a couple years, and then. As time went on, I just, you know how you kind of grow in love with someone? I'm like, I actually really like this guy. Like the more I talk, like we would talk like once a month and, I, and then I started looking forward to talking to him, which to be honest, I don't even like talking on the phone. So I'm like, I get off the phone and Kathy's like, how? I go, that actually was a very interesting conversation. And, and, um, and that, that just like kept happening and happening and pretty soon we're talking once a week and pretty soon we're talking every other day and I'm like, yeah, Kathy calls him my girlfriend. <laughs> Your girlfriend called. I'm like, <laughs> and you know, I love him. My whole family loves him, and, and so I started. And so he started talking to uh, to me about changing the world. It was his idea to do the tech company. He found Ryan. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you about several other things that we're working on right now, but they're all his ideas. They're all his ideas. So I'm like, I gotta get, you know, so I'm telling my team about this guy and they're like, (laughs) like, yeah, we had a guy like that in the whole group, you know, (laughs) 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 he went to Mars. (laughs) (laughs) So I bring him in one day to our media company. So I'll never forget, you know, I had to beg the media team to come like, please come. Like, oh, we're all busy. Uh, You're gonna like this guy. Oh, please, please come. Listen, I'm your boss. I command you to come in Jesus' name for coming. <laughs> so sitting at the table. It's just, it's not because, just everyone's busy is the truth. Everyone's busy. So they're like, I'm going to give an hour to something. I, it's got to be strategic. I'm like, you're going to love this guy. Well, what's he going to do? You're going to love this guy. But what's he going to do for me? I'm going to love this guy. Just come. So we come. We sit around the table. And, and you know, 15 minutes ago, everybody makes introductions. And then, and then he starts telling them like, you know, I have this dream, and and I I can't mention what, but he goes, I think that you guys should buy, and he names the largest media company in the world. He goes, I think we could put together a deal where we buy that company for Bethel and you guys run it. It's like 20 minutes into the meeting. My guys are all. He goes, yeah, I have some people who would put up the money, and he starts talking about this guy who puts up about three hundred million for him last year, and this guy did this thing, and he goes, we could put the deal together, and you know we can make five percent on it, but five percent of that much money would, you know, that would fund the whole building. Anyway, my guys end up three hours in there with him, talking to him. He's like, he's taking him to the moon, and. They were talking about, you know, <laughs> parallel universes and stuff. I mean it was it was, I mean, not one person left that meeting that wasn't like, well, I don't know what just happened to me, but I have never talked to anyone like that. I said I know I've been talking to them for three years. There's something about hanging around with people who are thinking, let's go to the moon, let's change the solar system. Like can we change the rotation of the planet? I mean. I don't know, you know, I I just, I'm almost done. I just think we're believers. Like we're the ones who are supposed to believe in the impossible and the atheist is doing it. And I'm like, I'm like, we're supposed to be having those ideas. The creator's inside of us. We're wiser than Daniel who was 10 times wiser than all the wise men in Babylon and we had the creator inside of us and Daniel only had him on him. I'm like, we should be thinking like this. Listen, we are fully capable to think bigger than that the problem is we hang around with chickens and we wonder why we're not flying with the eagles I was thinking about chicken feed all the time and little chickens and why they're having chickens and why they're not (laughs) I don't want to think like that anymore I don't want to think like that I want to I want to think I don't want to think like let's build a church I want to think like let's build the city of God like who was that guy that wrote the book City of God yeah Augustine this I'm not gonna read it it's too thick but when it comes out in audio, I'm gonna listen to it in audiobook. God, Got a 600 page book. Anyone read that book? God bless you. If you'll do that in audio book, I will pay you $10,000 to put that in audio book. <laughs> Just don't screw it up when you read it. I'm Serious, I'm like, yeah. Will you read it for $10,000? You will? Okay, you read it, good. Yes. I don't want to, like, you know, miss words and, you know, can't pronounce them and stuff. It's got to be done. white. (laughs) A guy has a, a vision of the city of God. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we started dreaming cities, nations? I mean, we're supposed to make disciples of nations. We can't worry about who's on the mic. Let somebody talk to Martha. And let's, like, let's get up here with some other people. Instead of being intimidated by big people, why don't we just, it's okay. We're the, listen, it's good we're the smallest person in the room. Let's find places where we're the smallest person in the room and just come in there like we're totally ignorant. Like, we probably are. <laughs> and just let people that are big thinkers just like impregnate us with a vision for something huge that only God could do. Let's start thinking about fixing the problem with North Korea. Let's pray, but then let's do something. Like, let's have answers. Let's not just like, oh, pray about it. Well, pray about it, then do something. And if all you're supposed to do is pray, then pray. I'm not saying praying isn't doing, but I'm saying, let's not just like, well, oh, I prayed about that. OK, well, did you get an idea? No, well, go pray again until you get one. Like, stay in there until you pr- get an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and he starved to death. <laughs> that was just a joke. Anyway, I, I think I'm done. I, I just want to inspire you to think. I just want to inspire you to be a great leader. I want to inspire you to pour yourself into your gift. Not just pour yourself into your people. Pour yourself into your gift. Well, it feel selfish. No, listen, you'll ensure salvation for both yourself and for all those who hear you. Like, one of the best things you can do is take care of you. I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not talking about being self-centered. I'm talking about giving yourself totally to the gift God's given you, thinking like God thinks, getting around people who think like God thinks, and some people who think like God thinks who don't yet know God. I mean, it's all, it's like, up here, let's hang around them until we think big, until we think Impossible. And then when we sit with leaders of nations, that truly, when we're in the room, we are the hope of the nations because we are bringing ideas and solutions, and we're bringing. You probably notice we gave uh, five hundred thousand dollars to the police last year, and we were raising another seven hundred thousand. We're we're four hundred seventy four thousand from being making our goal. We're going to make our goal. We're going to make that goal. I'm simply saying it's not a lot of money, but at least it gets out of a little like fixing our church. Like let's help the justice system. And then let's draw businesses here. Let's let's turn out 10,000 digital missionaries that can move in signs and wonders and miracles, but think from the heavenly place. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking. At least I'm thinking. You can criticize me, but at least I'm thinking. And if you want to criticize me, maybe you should have a better thought than mine. Get involved in your city. Where do I start? Find a problem. Get in traffic. Listen to people complain. What are they complaining about? Well, when people complain about something, maybe there's a, there's a solution. I'd like to propose to you that the earth doesn't have a problem that he doesn't have a solution for. I'd like to propose to you, no matter what you can think of, that's a problem. He has a solution. Cancer? He has the ultimate solution to how to eradicate cancer from the entire planet. Not just heal the sick, I mean divine health. I mean, he has the answer. He has an answer for an an, an antidote for cancer. And 50 years from now, they'll look back and they'll think of all the barbaric ways we took care of cancer. And they're like, oh, you just take a shot for it now. You're all good. I'm saying, someone's going to come up with an idea. Maybe many ideas. Okay, I'm done. Stand up. I'm going to pray for you. you. You need prayer now. You're like, what do I do with Martha? <sighs> yeah. You know why we don't dream big sometimes? Sometimes it's because we think we're little. And that's a, that's a delusion. Did you hear what I said? Sometimes we don't think big because we think we're little. And I'd like to propose to you that you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. You're not just praying to God, you're praying with God. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would just give us the mind of Christ. That we would dream with God, not just dream about God, we would dream the dreams of God. Lord, that we would dream the manifestations of His imagination. Lord, that you would, when you put us in a in the midst of a problem, we would dream the answer. We would be like Josephs, Lord. We would be like Daniels. We'd be like people who dream the solutions of world problems. But Lord, please let us first dream of solutions for our city's problem, like Joseph dreamt. Lord Joseph interpret dreams for his for the prisoners. Let us learn how to do small things in a great way so we can do great things in a great way. Lord, give us a heart for our own land. Lord, when um, someone's murdered in our city, let us take it personally. Lord, how do we stop murder? How do we stop these things? What is the root cause of these things? Lord, give us answers and solutions. Lord, we pray for him. And Lord, tonight we pray for Elon Musk. I've been praying for him. God, I pray that he would find you. Lord, I pray that he would find you in creation. You say creation speaks for you. And Lord, I just think, Lord, I have such a burden for that man. I pray that Elon would be a brilliant theologian and scientist. And I bless him and his family tonight in Jesus' name. And God, I pray for our city. I pray that this city would be a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. I pray that it would be Augustine's city of God. Lord, I pray that people would come from all over the world to see a city completely influenced by the king and his kingdom, not Christianized, kingdomized. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much, Christian. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvellton.com. Have an awesome day.